This podcast contains sensitive content, which some may find disturbing. Information shared here should not be construed as medical advice. If you or someone you love needs help with trauma, chronic pain, or anything else we discuss here, please seek out a medical professional. All resources shared are for entertainment purposes only. All content represents the opinions of Kim and Anna and any special guests and do not necessarily reflect the positions of any organizations they work for. This is not ideal, but we're going with it. A mother-daughter podcast about chronic pain, trauma, mental illness, and more. Kim is a trauma therapist and certified addiction counselor who lives in Pennsylvania, USA. And her daughter, Anna, is a scoliosis sufferer and trauma survivor living in the tropical north of Australia. Join us each week as they discuss topics from their life experiences. Welcome to the show. Hello and welcome. This is Not Ideal, but we're going with it, the podcast. I'm Kim and I'm the mom. And I'm Anna, I'm the daughter. And today we have another special guest star. Woohoo! <laughs> However, <laughs> bring it, bring it, reining it in a little bit. This episode is going to be about some pretty sensitive content, specifically to do with attachment trauma. So we do want to give a little bit of a trigger warning. It's going to cover the topics of marital infidelity and kind of what that looks like in a relationship, what that can do to you when you're on the receiving end of that. And so we want to give a trigger warning to people who have been through this. We just want to, you know, say beware before you listen to this. It's probably going to get, it's going to get real. So beware. Also want to take this chance just to remind our listeners to be conscientious when they comment on episodes. Just please be sensitive to this particular topic as it really hits home. So just uh, also our special guest, just we're so thankful for everyone who's brave enough to come onto our podcast and tell their story. Like we said in a recent post, everyone has a story. You just need to keep telling it. Mm. Yeah, so true. So just, yeah, keep in mind that, you know, the main, the main reason our podcast exists is so that we can suffer alongside one another, not like give advice, you know, not try to fix Mm -hmm. it for one another, just to be with one another in empathy and just try to, you know, sit with each other in the darkness as, previously stated in a previous episode. Go listen to that one if you haven't listened to it already. So now that we've given our quick little spiel about being sensitive, which we know you guys are all on top of, (laughs) we would like to introduce our very special guest, Rachel. Do you want to say hello, Rachel? Hello, everyone. Thanks for having me. Of course, we are so excited. Rachel is here to talk to us about trauma that can result from marital unfaithfulness. So without further ado, Rachel, would you like to share your story with us? Sure. Um, Yeah. So my name is Rachel. I'm a wife and I am a mother to two kids. I am a college professor and a musician. My husband and I got married in 2005 and we had met in New York state where he's from. He's born and raised a city boy. Um, And we got married. We moved to Oregon. We lived there for three years, had a great time. And then I got a job here in Pennsylvania. And so we packed up and moved. It's interesting because within that first year of moving here to Pennsylvania, I noticed a pretty significant change in him. I found out that I was expecting our son about two months after we moved to Pennsylvania, which was a a bit of a surprise. Wow. And that was your first child? That was our first. Yeah. Yeah. So um, some of the changes that I noticed in my husband, I just figured were 
you know, he's now in cow country, <laughs> you know, that's, that's a big deal for a city boy. Um, you know, we didn't have a lot of friends and things like that. So I attributed a lot of his, a, a lot of what I was seeing about him to those significant life changes, moving across the country and finding out that we're expecting a child within the first couple months. Mm-hmm. Um, our son was born in June of 2009 uh, and and that's when things got even a little bit fishier, I guess I would say. Um, mm. He was really distant, didn't really want to do the things that we normally found a lot of joy in doing. Like we love to be outside. Um, it was kind of hard to get him off the couch. Um, and it, that got worse as as we moved through probably the next year and a half. Um, our son was not the greatest baby, you could say. Uh, From the moment we brought him home, he would sleep for maybe 15 minutes at a time. And that was it. So sleep was not something that was a part of my life. um, For the first 18 months of his life, which is funny how it kind of ran simultaneously with the what was happening in our marriage. Um, But I continued to kind of press into my husband's asking what the problem was, you know, um, I wanted to help him. That was sort of where I was coming from. Mm -hmm. And the more I pushed, the further away he got. Mm -hmm. And it got to the point where it became, I would press him and he would say things like, well, I never loved you. You forced me to marry you. I didn't want to be married to you. Um, wow. all of this is, was a mistake. We were having some financial problems too, at the same time. And, and I really see that now as a blessing because I think that if we weren't in such a bad, a bad position financially, he probably would have left, but we mm-hmm. didn't have any money. So where was he going to go? Um, we didn't have family in the area at the time either. So we were kind of just stuck with each other. Um, even though a number of times he'd mentioned that we should just get separated. And I would always say, well, where are you going to go? Um, and he didn't have an answer. So he stayed, um, all of this is to say he kind of wrapped that up in a, in a package when, when we were having okay conversations that didn't result in him running out the door and taking off on his motorcycle for hours at a time, leaving me home with our son. Um, he would just tell me that he was depressed and I tried to help Mm -hmm. as best as I knew how, but I didn't, I mean, I wasn't equipped for that. Um, I can remember Googling it and asking people that I knew that had psychology backgrounds and just, you know, I I wanted the, I wanted the answer of how to fix the problem. And I just couldn't find that answer. And I, you know, we, I had talked to him about counseling before. um, And he did try a couple places, but it always just made, honestly made things even worse. It just did not happen. I actually remember sitting in one counseling session. It was a, like a pastoral counseling situation And the counselor looked at him and said, are you having an affair? Mm. And you could have heard a pin drop. It was just completely silent. And I remember my heart just because that was the first time anybody had even mentioned that. And Mm. through all of the, the, the garbage that we had gone through up to that point, that was not even a possibility in my mind. You know, Mm -hmm. he was my protector and he was, as far as I knew, the most selfless man I had ever met in my life. And that's why I married him. You know, he would do anything for anyone at any time. Wow. So I just couldn't even imagine 
that as a possibility. Um, you know, it was, it was a tough year. It was probably more than a year and a half, but eventually what happened was I can remember it like it was yesterday. We were sitting in our house and we were in the basement and something set me off again. And I'm not an emotional person at all. Like my, I grew up, my sister would call me a cold hearted snake because, you know, I just, I don't, I don't cry a whole lot. I'm not lovey dovey, huggy, you know, I'm just not that person. I'm very pragmatic, very rational. Mm -hmm. Um, But something set me off that night and I just kept digging in. Why are you doing this? What is wrong? What is wrong? What is wrong? And he started to leave again because that's what would happen is I would press him about something and he would leave and he'd Mm. be gone for hours at a time. And, um, you know, I can still to this day, I hear one of those crotch rocket motorcycles and my heart Mm -hmm. starts to go a hundred miles an hour because that Mm -hmm. was the sound I remember of him taking off and coming home. And, um, that night he started to leave again. And I said, no, you're not leaving. And it was probably the first time I stood up to him and and he said, no, I am. I said, you have to tell me what is, what is going on. And at that moment, he told me that he had been, he didn't even, all he said was he'd kissed this woman that he worked with. And, um, oh, and I flew off the handlebars. Mm-hmm. And that's probably when the stuff for me really hit the fan because it was, I felt like now it was about me. It was no longer mm-hmm. about him. Um you know, there was some wall punching, there was drawers smashing, there was screaming and crying. And it was almost like two years of pent up emotion of trying to take care of this man just came out of my mouth. And I couldn't Mm -hmm. even stop it. (laughs) I mean, Um, I, I am embarrassed now to think about how I reacted in that moment. But and I remember I, I took off, I left, I walked our, it was probably I don't know what time it was. It was late at night and I had no shoes on. It was in the middle of winter and I was walking around the neighborhood with no shoes on, no coat, nothing. Wow. And he kept calling me and I kept hanging up. I wouldn't answer him. Mm. Um, I just didn't know what to do. You know, what do you do in that situation? I felt so very alone. We had only lived in this place for a couple of years, had one good friend. Um, My family had no idea what was going on. His family knew that something was wrong, but didn't know the extent of it. Um, so really there was one person, one, one friend that knew things were not good. Um, so I felt very alone in that moment. Uh, and I think that's probably why I, I ran out. I just couldn't, um, could catch my breath, you know, mm-hmm. it was just, it was, it was stifling, <laughs> I guess you could say, um, after feeling so desperate to help someone that you cared so much about Mm. to realize that that two years of, of help you tried to give had fallen completely on deaf ears to a person who really was just, you know, causing some, some significant harm, um, was tough. It was real tough. You know, I kept trying to, to fix it even up to that point after it. Um, and I think what happened in the long run is that I just lost a sense of who I was. And I, you know, I'm not, I am, uh, like I said, I'm a rational person. I am a, a believer in God. And I, and I don't believe that I necessarily have the ultimate control over who I am as a person. You know, I feel like mm-hmm. there, God has me to be somebody. It's not necessarily, you know, I don't get to choose that. But at the same time, 
any sense of self that I really felt at that point had just completely dissolved. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the word helpless comes to mind, you know, here I was a, a pretty well-known musician in this area around Pennsylvania, you know, people would see me and be like, Oh, you know, it's so cool. I would love to do what she does. And, and all of this sort of thing. And in my mind, I would just think if you only knew how bad it really was, Mm -hmm. Um, because I just had, I was a really good actor, (laughs) a Mm -hmm. really good actor for a number of years. So yeah. And I had this little boy that I had to take care of amidst all of this. And I remember laying on his floor at night and just sobbing, God, please don't take away both of his parents. Let us be his parents together. Please, Lord, do not make Mm -hmm. me a part-time parent to this child. I can't deal with it. That was my prayer over and over and over again. And in April, I can remember it was the weekend before Easter. He decided to take me out on a hike, you know, just the two of us. And it was going to be this romantic thing and what have you. And I just had this pit in my stomach because he was back to acting weird again. Mm-hmm. Um, because after that initial admittance, you know, he, we, we tried to just make it make it through, you know, and he had promised I won't be in contact with her anymore. But meanwhile, he still was working with her and <laughs> it was very, mm-hmm. very awful. Yeah. Um, so uh, I, I, and I don't remember the timeline of it. Eventually she did leave that job. Um, but needless to say, we were, we were going to head out on our romantic little hike. And I had this pit in my stomach again. I was sitting in the car waiting for him to get in the car. And I said, tell me the rest of the story. What else happened? I just mm-hmm. knew it. And in mm-hmm. the drive to where we were going took about an hour. And the whole way there, I was in a ball on the floor of the front passenger seat, sobbing. Wow. <laughs> and yeah. Again, if you knew me, this is like the most ridiculous thing. This is not me, you know, and mm-hmm. I don't cry. Like, that's just not who I am. But I just, and I, and he hadn't even told me anything yet. But I just Mm -hmm. knew I had this Mm -hmm. feeling that it was not good. And I said to him, you slept with her, didn't you? Mm -hmm. And he just looked at me. And I said, you slept with her, didn't you? And he said, yes. Mm. And I said, how many times? And he said, I don't even know. Mm. And there were some bad words that came out of my mouth. Mm-hmm. There was, again, some throwing of things and there were people around and he kept telling me to be quiet that I was going to embarrass myself mm-hmm. and I could have cared less. Mm-hmm. I didn't care who saw me. I didn't care what they heard come out of my mouth. And I ran back down that mountain and got into the car, back into my <laughs> fetal position on the floor. Wow. And we rode home. And the most bizarre part of all of it is... At some point, I sat back up in the seat and I started to talk to him and I asked him a lot of questions and he gave me a lot of answers, some of which were fully truthful and others I found out later he, you know, he's kind of glossing over some things just, I don't know if it was that to protect me or what, but um, we went and had some dinner together and we actually had a great time. Wow. And then we went to my friend's house, the one person who knew that this was even going on. And she had kept my son that afternoon and we went to pick him up and everything was happy go lucky. Like, you know, it was like this big relief off my shoulders. Mm. I finally knew. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but then the reality of it set in that next day. And I can remember mm-hmm. going back to my friend's house that morning and just thinking, what am I going to do? Mm-hmm. How can I trust this person? You know, I don't, I don't know what to do. And, and my family lives in Maine. And again, they had no idea what was going on. And I didn't feel comfortable going there. And I was, I mean, meanwhile, I'm working still, right? I'm teaching classes. So it was decided that I would go to my in-laws house up in New York State for a few days just to kind of get my mind together. And before I left, I told him that he would have to make a decision between me and her. Because at that time, what was even worse is that he still hadn't completely cut off contact with her. Mm-hmm. Um, he was feeling very sad about having to end any type of relationship with her. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I left and I went and stayed with my, my in-laws for a few days. And my mother-in-law is such a gift. <laughs> I always tell her she mm-hmm. should teach mother-in-law classes. Um, <laughs> she really should. She's such a gift to me. And, you know, she sat with me in that space and it was tough. Um, I didn't eat for three days. I cried a lot. I tried to take care of my son. I wrote things down a lot. Um, and then it was time for me to go back home. And I, I called my husband and said, what is your decision? And he kind of pondered that question. Um, Mm. and I said, you have to tell me what your decision is, because if it's not me, I want you to be gone when I get home. And nobody writes a book for this stuff. Like, how are you right, supposed sure. to know what to say in this instance? Yeah, absolutely. You know? I mean, if there was a book written about it, I would have found it because I was constantly seeking out resources to help me through this cockamamie situation I found myself mm-hmm. in. Mm-hmm. But there wasn't anything that my my book was not written. <laughs> and that wow. was hard. So I had this was, you know, improvisation 101. Uh, yeah. Not stand up improvisation, Kim, but right. improvisation nonetheless. Um, so he finally said that I was his choice. So I, I was pretty excited about that and came home and, and before, well, actually I got home and he was there when I got home and it was like this very stereotypical Cinderella story. A woman comes home, they embrace bloody, bloody, blah. And it was bliss. And then it came and smacked me back in the face. What my reality was because I had a counseling appointment that afternoon. Right. right. Um, so, which is why I came back. So, you know, I went to that counseling session. I remember halfway through, she looked at me and said, are you okay? I said, mm. I haven't eaten in three days. Wow. Mm. Um, you know, that was a little bit of a precursor to some of the stuff that would eventually kind of take over in my mind, uh, things that I would do because I thought that I deserved something because of how my marriage had what my marriage had become, I guess I could should mm. say. So yeah, after that, um, that next month, I found out that I was expecting our daughter. Um, wow. Wow. I was real sick, and things still weren't great with us. I found out within the next couple months that he had um, gotten back into contact with this woman. Mm-hmm. And it was mo- just phone calls. But still, you I mean, that's pretty hurtful. Um mm-hmm. I can remember trying to help him through the grief process of getting over this woman. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I would hold him while he would cry over this other person. And I don't know what possessed me to do that. 
I really don't. I, it, I don't know what it was. I don't know if it was desperation, stupidity, or the Holy spirit. It may have been all three. I don't know. But, um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, but I did, I sat there and I held him and Mm. I did care for him. I mean, this was the person Mm -hmm. that I had dedicated my life to. And as far as I was concerned, when you say I do, that means forever. Um, even though I had a reason to leave, you know, but I had this little boy and now I was pregnant with number two. And the thought of raising the two of them on my own was really tough. Um, I've never been a terribly confident person. I've always been anxiety ridden. And so the thought of doing that by myself was just more than I could handle at that moment. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why I did what I did because I thought I couldn't do anything else. Mm -hmm. And, um, but I do remember I, I found a moment of strength um, and I just couldn't take it anymore. And I said, again, you have to make a decision. And um, he left that night to go clear his thoughts. He told me he was going one place, found out later that he had gone to another place and that didn't help the situation. I called him to find out where he was. When he told me where he was, I got mad because he had lied about where mm. he was going and um, we had a conversation. Uh, I broke a plate. I remember that he pretty much said to me, I'm not over this woman and he didn't know what to do. So the next morning I made a decision that I didn't need to take this anymore. And I said Mm -hmm. to him again, it's me or it's her. Mm -hmm. And I can remember him saying, Rachel, that's not, that's not a fair thing of you to ask of me. And, um, I think that's where the rubber hit the road, so to speak. And I said, no, what's not fair is you being unfaithful to our marriage. Mm. And I told him, don't come home. Mm -hmm. And I hung up the phone and he tried to call me and I didn't answer. And that, and I I went to work, you know, because that's what normal people do. They have Mm. fair conversations at seven o'clock in the morning. They drop their kid off at the babysitter and then they go to work. (laughs) Wow. You know, um, and uh, he ended up moving in with a friend of ours for a few weeks. And, uh, you know, that went on for a few weeks. And I was growing a baby inside me at the same time. And mm-hmm. I was a mess. I was a mess. And wow. um, yeah, it was tough. I said to him at one point, I said, I feel like you are going to make me kill this baby because Mm. I was such a mess and I thought for sure I would miscarry because of the amount of stress I was under. Um, you know, and I, he said to me, you know, no, I'll be there for you and I'll be there in the delivery room. And I said, no, you won't, you Mm. won't be there. I don't want you there. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. it's my pregnancy and I get to decide, you know, and I think that really hit home for him. Um, eventually he came home one night to mow the lawn and, uh, I had read this book called this is not the way life was supposed to be or something to that effect I'll have to get you the name of the the real name of the book but it it, and you know I had read all these Christian books up to that point I was being all spiritual (laughs) and this one was not Christian at all and it probably is the one that saved my marriage because this Mm. woman was talking about how her husband essentially went through a midlife crisis and he was I mean it was so similar to the behaviors that I was experiencing in my own life and she made this point that at one point she just decided she's just going to go about her life and live her life. And if he wants to come along aside her, that's fine. If not, she's just going to keep going. And that's the mentality that I just took. If you want to come alongside me, fine, but I'm not going to sit around waiting for you anymore. 
Mm. And it wasn't until I finally turned on that new persona that he came back, like emotionally, physically, the whole nine. Um, so mm. it was at that point that we decided that we were going to stay married. I don't think I would even use the word reconcile after mm. that because it was essentially making do. It wasn't rec- it wasn't reconciliation. Mm. Um, it was just getting through. Yeah. It was just getting through and, and it was for the kids. Um, at that moment, it wasn't about me at all. It was about making sure that my children had both of their parents under one roof. I had mm. seen too many times the despair that can come with divorce and things like that. And I didn't want it for my kids. And I was willing to take whatever I needed to take in order for that to not happen for them. So, uh, you know, it was something that we were going to move past. I did tell him that I would promise not to ever bring this up again. And uh, I, for the most part, kept that promise. So if I needed to grieve, I did it in my own space. I cried in the shower probably every, every night (laughs) for Mm. at least uh, six months or so. That was my place to go. I would go and I would turn the water on so hot that it hurt um, until the, all of the hot water would run out and then I would get out of the shower. Um, yeah. And, and I would do things like slam my hand in drawers because I figured that I could tell the doctors that I accidentally slammed my hand in a drawer and that's how I broke my fingers. You know, it's not because I was trying to hurt myself. Like I could come up with reasons for that, you know, like I came up with these ways to justify different things that I would do to myself to try to make the pain go away because I didn't have anywhere to go with it. Mm. And that's, I was saying before how that's where this, you know, me doing things to myself, throwing things and what have you came out. I didn't know. I I couldn't talk about it. Mm -hmm. I didn't have any other way to escape from it. Um, Mm. I would not eat for days on end hoping and praying that I would get thin enough so that I would be attractive enough to him to be enough. You know, I would do Mm. all of these, I would compromise a lot of things about myself um, in an effort to be the woman I thought he wanted me to be. So that idea of self really just went out the window. And then I had my daughter in January (laughs) and all of that just got worse. Um, my, my psychiatrist now calls it a major depressive episode is what I experienced um, after I had her. And, uh, you know, some people will call it postpartum depression and it just, it just got worse. And um, I would find myself getting very angry and um, just, I couldn't, I couldn't control myself. I remember I went to a, a ladies retreat one time and I brought the baby with me hoping to just get away for a few nights. I couldn't even, I had to leave. I had to leave. I couldn't, I couldn't stay in that place. I felt like the walls were closing in on me. Mm -hmm. Um, Couldn't breathe and uh, just cried. Couldn't, and I just couldn't stop. Um, And finally, my friend, the one who knew at the very beginning about all this said to me, Rachel, get your behind into your OBGYN and get yourself some medication because this is, this can't go on anymore. Um, Mm. Cause sometimes I would call her in those fits of rage, but at the same time, I didn't want to, I didn't want to bother her. <laughs> didn't mm-hmm. want to disturb her. You know, I was very much the people pleaser type of person. Like, you know, and it was in that, that space 
that recovery after I had my daughter, when I find, when I had to go on medication that I think my husband finally saw the toll that this had taken on me. And Mm. we still didn't really talk about it a whole lot between the two of us. I remember our conversations would be the two of us sitting on the couch together, texting one another because we didn't know how to talk to one another out loud. Um, We, I had this notebook that I would write questions in and I would leave it where he would see it so that he would open it up and then he would write out the answers to the questions. Wow. I mean, how convoluted is that, right? <laughs> that was our process. <laughs> and we were in counseling that whole time too. And, and that was good for us because that was a safe place to talk about whatever I needed to talk about. But that was, you know, once every couple of weeks. And this was life every day. So yeah, that was, that was tough. Um, so a number of years went by. Let's see, my daughter was born in 2012. 2013 was a pretty good year. So it was 14 and 15. <laughs> and then 2016 rolled around and um, something was off. Hmm. What is going on? You know, and again, I pressed in. What's what's going on? Are you depressed? Do we need to talk to somebody? Do we need to go back to counseling? Because at that point, we had not been going to counseling anymore. Um, no, no, no. I'm just, you know, I'm fine. I'm fine. I drove back home, um, you know, that week later and met him at the door and barely got a kiss, did not get a hug, nothing. It was kind of like a, Hey, how are you? And, um, in that moment, I was just like, he's done it again. Mm. (laughs) And, uh, I went to my in-laws house who had since moved to Pennsylvania and they live two blocks away now. And which is fantastic. And I walked over there and I, and I said, I need to talk to the two of you. I said to them, he has done it again. Can I just ask you, when you first had that inner realization, even before you spoke to anyone else about Mm -hmm. it, what did that feel like for you? You know, what was it that you initially felt there when you had that first realization? Um, I would say it was more like a feeling of panic. Like I just, oh, I couldn't breathe. Mm -hmm. Um, It was that feeling of needing to get out because I Mm -hmm. needed to tell somebody because I wasn't going to do this by myself again. That for me is where it was because the first time around, like I said, I had that one friend and that was it. Nobody knew. Nobody knew. I was all by myself because I promised him I wouldn't tell anybody. So when I went to their house, it was really, it was a cry for help. Um, Sure. I couldn't do this by myself again. And, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and his dad was mad. His mom, you know, was like, are you sure? Are you sure? I'm like, I can just tell. Mm-hmm. Um, that was in early August of 2016. And I didn't find anything until October. So we went through another two months of, you know, mostly he didn't, I don't remember him leaving so much this time around, but he was really dealing with all of this internally in a really unhealthy way and it was hard to watch it was Mm -hmm. really hard to watch and again I I found myself in a position to compromise what I what I thought was right in an effort to make him happy like I just kept doing these things to try and make him happy because I thought that I had the capacity to do that right Um, but it just it didn't matter how much I gave it just never got any better And Mm -hmm. I can remember at one point praying, you know, dear Lord, I just pray that he has another affair on me so that I can leave and be done with this. 
because yeah. I can't live like this anymore. Mm-hmm. The long and short of it is that I, I found um, some credit card receipts that had um, charges to 1-800-Flowers, and I had never received any flowers. Um, it had two hotel charges to places I had never been, and some of the timing of it was around some things that I was already a little bit suspicious about. Um, and this time I had friends around me. So, you know, he came home from work that night and there was a, there was a house full. Um, Mm. and I was so thankful for their presence. Um, Mm -hmm. because I didn't really have to interact with him at all. The, the men, the men friends took him into the garage and tried to pry the information out while I just sat in complete disbelief that this was my life again. And started to make plans for being a single mother. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, So so it was awful. But at the same time, there was this sense of relief, to be honest with you, Mm -hmm. because the thought of having to go through all of that again was more than I could handle. Um, Mm. I told him to leave and he left and he went and got an apartment and um, ended up staying there for six months. At which point I was done with him. I had called a divorce lawyer. I was ready to make the next step. Um, you know, we had to have those uncomfortable conversations about custody. It's funny because even in that, I found, finally, I found some time for myself. Um, mm-hmm. That was something that I, I just hadn't done. And if I had done it before, I did it with tremendous guilt because I was a working mother, you know, um, and I would spend every moment that I was not working with my children. And if I wasn't with them, I felt terrible that I wasn't with them. But finally, I was forced to be by myself because they were with him. Right. And I found that I so needed that time. I would go, and this is how I spent my very illustrious alone time. I would go to Barnes and Noble with a book and a journal and just sit there and write and read for hours. That's what I did. And I it renewed my soul. <laughs> I just needed that time. And sometimes I would go to a yoga class too. And that was, that was super fun. But, um, I would go to dinner with friends and it's just all these things that I hadn't done before because I felt guilty about it. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, he kept after me even through those custody conversations and things like that. He just, he would not let up. It didn't matter what I said to him. I could say right into his face. I want a divorce. I don't want to be married to you anymore. Mm-hmm. And he would say, I love you and I'm going to keep fighting for you. He would make me angry and I would tell him right to his face exactly how he made me feel. And we had been married at this point for like 10 years or something. And I had never said these things to him before. If he made mm-hmm. me mad, I would go in my room and write it in a journal. I wouldn't say it to him to his face, wow. you know? And, um, I was finally looking at him in the face and saying, no, this is how you made me feel. Mm-hmm. And it was just very liberating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, sure. you know, most men would have turned on their heel and walked out the door. And he would just look at me and say, you know, you're right. I did treat you like garbage. And for the rest of my life, I'm going to do what I can to show you how sorry I am for what I did. Wow. Um, on November 1st, he had to move out of his apartment. So he started bringing a bunch of stuff to our house. And I'm like, what are you doing? Why are you bringing this stuff in this house? 
he's like, well, you know, my parents don't have enough room for this and I'm just going to leave it here. You know, I was just so done. I'm like, whatever. And then he says to me at one point, can I talk to you? And I'm like, yeah, sure. He took me in the basement. He said, I really, I want to move back in. And I said, no. He said, why? I'm like, because I don't want you to. I'm not ready. We said January 1st, we would have this conversation. And it is currently November 1st. And I'm not ready to have this conversation. (laughs) And I remember texting my friend Mindy. And I said to her, he wants to move back in. And she said, okay, what did you tell him? And I said, I told him no. And she said, why? And I was like, I don't know why. But I just am saying no. And I just kept saying that over and over. I mean, two hours, he and I sat two hours. And I just kept saying, no, 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 no. And he just kept after me. And I finally, I prayed. I'm like, Lord, I know that you don't want this man back in this house. So you need to tell me why he can't come back. And it was like crickets in that house. Mm. And I'm like, darn it. I need to hear from the Lord. And then I finally like, (laughs) Well, Rachel, you are hearing from the Lord and he's saying nothing because there's no reason that this man cannot move back into your house. And I was so mad because Mm. I was not getting my way. I was not getting my timeline, but I was like, you know what? Okay. You know, Lord, I've trusted you through this whole thing and I can't not trust you now. And so he moved back in. He slept in the basement for two months, but he moved back in (laughs) and, um, you know, that, that's our, that's our convoluted story, you know, and, and it hasn't been all sunshine and rainbows since then. Um, I've had, well, obviously, cause I'm on this podcast. Um, you know, I've had severe trauma. I've actually, they, they diagnosed me with post-traumatic stress, um, mm-hmm. which I didn't know you could get that from marital infidelity, but apparently you can, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. And so there are things that, that trigger me, you know, if I see things, if I smell Mm -hmm. things, if people say certain words, um, Mm. but what used to put me in a tailspin and that's where the throwing and the, who knows if, you know, who knows what I would do in those moments before. Now I just take a deep breath and I pray a prayer and I thank the Lord that that's not my story anymore. Mm. Um, and it's, you know, it's not fun to talk about the fact that my husband, found consolation in other women you know Mm -hmm. this is not something I'm proud to talk about Um, but at the same time my story I know is very special because the Lord preserved our marriage yeah and he taught us that this thing called marriage is not easy you know we still get mad at each other we still we don't really argue a whole lot but you know we we have disagreements but now we talk through them um we, we, we always look at each other and we say, same team, same team. You know, um, mm. we have a disagreement because at the end of the day, that's the part that we have to remember. Um, we're on the same team. It is hard if we're not working every day to fight for our marriage, then we're doing something wrong. Um, so now we're a happy family of four with lots of baggage, but we're all together and our kids have both of their parents, which was always my prayer. Um, and I'm so thankful that the Lord answered my prayer. You know, it took, golly, started in 2009 and lasted until 2017. Wow. <laughs> so, I mean, it took a long time, but I would mm-hmm. like to think that both of us learned an awful lot in that time. Um, we just had to listen to what his answer was for us and we had to 
put ourselves aside and think about how the Lord could um, be part of this story so that other people hopefully could have the happy ending that we've had as well. So that's my story. Wow. It's long. How, how are you feeling <laughs> having said all that? How are you, you know, feeling this right is now? the first time that I had told this story and I am not shaking from head to toe. Yay. Wow. Yeah. It was such a privilege to listen to you, Rachel, and to be blessed with hearing your journey. Thank you so much for sharing. Sure. That story. I appreciate the chance to. I do have one last question for you, Rachel, here at the end of our episode. I just want to ask, uh, do you have any advice for any of our listeners who might be going through something similar right now, just as they are going through now what you have already been through and have hindsight mm-hmm. about? Yeah, there's a couple different tangents on that I, I could go. You know, the one I had a friend that was going through a very similar situation at the same time, and her story end, did end in divorce and it ended in a lot of um, hardship for her and her family. And so just because it happened this way to me does not mean that this is how everybody's story is going to end. Um, mm-hmm. I wish it would, but there's this thing called free will. And I'm thankful that the Lord was able to penetrate my husband's heart and that he was humble enough to listen. Um, but that's not everybody's story. And, mm-hmm. and that, and in those situations, that's okay. Um, you know, I don't, I don't want people who are the victims of adultery to think that it's their fault that it didn't end in reconciliation. Right. It just, it's a great point. It just, you just never know with that. You know, I don't think I am completely guiltless in this situation. You need to be open to talking to one another about mm-hmm. anything and everything. Like nothing mm-hmm. is off limits. Mm-hmm. Um, you've made a promise to dedicate your life to this person. And with that comes whatever's in your mind at whatever time of day it comes. I never used to because I didn't want an argument. Um, mm-hmm. And then the other thing that I would add is that I think, um, I don't think I know this first time around, I felt like I was the only person that was going through this, that had ever gone through this. Mm. And I would read, you know, not to disparage my sisters in Christ who have written these books about their stories about infidelity. Um, but they all ended with this picture perfect scene of love and intimacy regained and all of this. And it's mm. just not like that. Yeah. <laughs> It's just not. I remember saying to my counselor in the very early stages, okay, so when am I going to get over all of this? And she looked at me and laughed. And I was like, why are you laughing at me? She's like, Rachel, this is going to be with you the rest of your life. And she's not wrong. I Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't even know how many years it's been. I still think about it every single day. Mm. Not a day goes by that I don't think about what, what happened. But it's, it's not a picture-perfect ending. We are still married. We love each other. But intimacy sometimes is hard. Um, mm-hmm. Having conversations about it is even harder. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we're, going, we're working through it one day at a time. And, you know, I would still love that Cinderella ending. But I'm a realist. And I know mm-hmm. that every day it will still be hard. And if it's not hard, mm-hmm. one of us is doing something wrong. And that is what I'm going to just carry with me through the rest of my life, um, knowing that God is my Lord and that through him I have grace and therefore must extend it to others, even my husband. So, mm. 
Wow, that's a great point to end on for us today, Rachel. Thank you again so much for being so giving and caring to share this story with us tonight. Yeah, we so appreciate it. We have loved hearing your story. Just thank you so much for having the courage to share all that. We would just, I'm just so thankful that you that you came on, that you reached out to us. Sure. And Rachel, yeah. we will post, if you want to get to us that book, Yes. Um, I tried to find it online, but I couldn't find, there's a bunch of, bunch of books by that mm-hmm. title. So if you want to get to us that book, we will post that link on our Facebook page, sure thing, yeah. um, at not ideal podcast. And we're on Twitter, on Instagram and Facebook at not ideal podcast. We have a YouTube channel and mm-hmm. Anna and I are looking into TikTok. So oh look out. We're having a difficult time. <laughs> at least I am. I'm not. I'm not in tune with the kids as much as I should be. <laughs> but we're gonna say we're gonna go ahead and say goodbye. Um, Rachel, did you want to just say goodbye first, and then Anna and I will say goodbye? Sure, goodbye. Thanks for listening to my story. I hope that it is of help to somebody out there. We're just so thankful for you. And I am Kim. I am the mom saying goodbye. And I'm Anna. I'm the daughter. And we will see you all next week. Goodbye. Goodbye. Thank you guys for joining us today. Stay tuned for more podcasts from Anna and Kim on the new series, Not Ideal, But We're Going With It. Also, check out their new website at www.notideal.net.